All right, so now I'm really excited to introduce um, a good friend of mine who's going to be um, sharing uh, from God's Word with us this morning. He's going to be preaching. Um, his uh, Pastor Phil Cruz, he'll share some more probably when he gets going, but um, he's from Rincon Mountain Presbyterian Church. And um, as we, that's why, you know, if you're wondering why Jason said, you'll find out more about that in a bit. Um, they're a church that we are definitely friends with, very close friends with. We learn a lot from, though they're uh, on the other side of town. We get together every so often in different kind of, you know, pastoral or church-wide, you know, kind of Tucson-wide type things. And um, Phil is an incredibly wise and godly man. Actually, my wife and I uh, got to know him. We um, were at the same church before they launched out to plant Rincon Mountain Church and um, and just, yeah, have really grown as friends and he's definitely someone that I um, kind of in many ways kind of sit at the feet of to, to grow and learn and um, is uh, what it looks like to be a, a pastor of a, of a congregation. So um, I'm excited to have you here, Phil, and um, he's going to come up after we read God's Word together. But um, again, like we do every week, I'm going to invite you and ask you to stand, please, as we now read God's Word. As a reminder, we stand out of reverence for God and for His Word. Good morning. Today's reading is Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 23 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. It's great for me to be here and a, a real honor for me to be here in your midst. Uh, as Dave said, uh, we, we go back quite a ways. I used to be on staff at Catalina Foothills Church up in the uh, foothills, and um, Dave was a college student then, and uh, so that's just a few years ago. But uh, my family and I have come and worshiped here at uh, Redemption Church a few times, probably four or five times over the last couple of years when I've had Sundays off, and uh, we've always been blessed as we've come here um, to sit under the preaching of the word that Dave has brought, uh, he's always extremely clear with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's one thing I know that you can count on if you come to Redemption Church, and that's you, that you're going to hear the gospel. And um, I'm just uh, excited to be able to be here today and to uh, continue in the series in Ephesians and to open up God's word to you. So uh, I just want to pray a minute before we go into God's word. Father, as we come to your word this morning, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So would you give us that illumination that we need to be able to see from your word how it is that we want, you want us to live before you, how you want us to understand our relationship with you as, as sinners, but sinners who've been redeemed and set free to live for Christ. So show us Jesus this morning. God, remove your servant uh, from view. May we all just be able to gaze upon our Savior, Jesus. 
In his name we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> this morning as uh, we begin, there's uh, a few ingredients uh, to a recipe that uh, I found as I was preparing this. And if you read down that, you see a lot of really delicious things. Uh, semi-sweet chocolate chips, sandwich cookies, bananas, ice cream, pineapple, cherries, peanuts. And just in case that's not enough, there's whipped cream also. And then uh, you start putting it all together. There's instructions for how to, how to make this thing. And uh, so in a saucepan, combine uh, butter, sugar, milk, chips, bring to boil, stir, remove from heat, and cool completely. Now, this is where I would run into problems making whatever this is because I would just stop right there and eat that. Uh, or I would continue maybe and go to the next one, melt the remaining butter, toss with cookie crumbs, press into a dish, freeze for 15 minutes, add the bananas, ice cream, refrigerate, and eat it. There, just stop there and eat that. Or you could go to the rest, you could cover it, you could do the rest of the... Uh, the recipe. Well, that recipe is a recipe for banana split supreme. Banana split supreme. Yes, <laughs> that is awesome. And uh, so I can give that to you later. I'll email it. You can put it on the website, Dave, and you can get that <laughs> later. Um, but what is it that makes that supreme? Well, as you go through the list of ingredients, you see the ingredients just getting better and better and better. As you see the recipe, you see the recipe come together and you have these layers of just amazing goodness, right? So it's, it's supreme. It's, it's the tops. What about uh, supreme pizzas? Uh, maybe you ordered a supreme pizza last night as you were watching uh, uh, an event on TV of a local basketball team. Uh, perhaps you ate a supreme pizza. Well, my idea of a supreme pizza is just get rid of the vegetables, right? They, they get in the way of the meat. Uh, add more meat, add more cheese, that would be supreme. Amen. <laughs> Was that you, Alan? <clears throat> so what is supreme? Well, supreme is something that is the absolute top, right? Something that ranks the highest in authority, in, in its uh, quality, something that's ultimate, something that's final. And when we come to God's word, we come to a letter like Ephesians, we come to what the Apostle Paul is saying, we cannot miss the fact that Jesus Christ is supreme, that Jesus Christ reigns supreme. That's what the end of chapter 1 is, is about. It's what Paul's been leading to. Uh, I did get to listen to Dave's sermon from last week because I like to do that to see where he was heading and, and I, didn't, I didn't listen to the sermons before that, but you know that verses 3 through 14 are all one sentence, right? So Paul's just, in this letter, he's erupting. He's erupting in praise of God and his plan that is perfect in his son, Jesus Christ. And he's building to this crescendo in these last few verses. And I'm thankful that Dave gave me these verses. I think, I think he really wanted to make sure I preached Jesus this morning. So he gave me these verses where I couldn't miss it. Uh, and hopefully you don't miss it today because because that's what we are about. That's what the church is about. It's what redemption is about. It's what Rincon Mountain is about. It's about glorifying Jesus Christ and seeing him as the one who reigns absolutely supreme over everything. Over, and we'll, we'll see that. We're going to unpack that. So let's, 
Let's do that. Let's look at the, the scripture and see how Paul brings us to this idea of the supremacy of Christ. So chapter, or, yeah, chapter 1, uh, verse 20. And uh, let, me, let me just go back a little bit because he's in the middle of a sentence, right? And so even, even verse 19 is in the middle of a sentence and verse 18 is in the middle of a sentence. So we'd have to go back to 15, but I'm not going to go that far. We'll just start at 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, that's God's power, toward us who believe according to the worker, working of his great might, that's, G, that's God's, God's great might, the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So think about that for just a minute. Think about uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, there are a lot of significant historical events that we could look, out through, look at throughout human history, uh, the invention of the wheel, the, the building of the ark, the painting of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Um, we could look at all manner of things. We could look at, at, at a Pac-12 championship, right? But, you know, their first loss in the, in the, in the dance, we'll forget all about that. Even if they win the championship six games later, we're going to forget about this championship. And six years later, we're going to forget about that national championship. Those things all pale in comparison to the fact that God raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. That is what makes Jesus Christ supreme. He's the only one that's been raised from the dead, except for those that he himself raised from the dead. So he is supreme. He's the one who's been raised from the dead to be the one over all things. All those whom Christ raised from the dead died again. But he remained alive and remains alive today, right? He ascended into heaven and is seated, as we read here, seated at the right hand of the Father. But he was raised from the dead. And you know what that resurrection does for us? We're going to celebrate that again in, in amazing celebrations at Easter, right, in three weeks. But that resurrection from the dead validates what he did for us in his death. You see, Jesus Christ is the only person who ever lived that never sinned, right? We can look at this morning and see our sin from this morning, maybe even from the moment after we entered into this building. But Jesus Christ lived 33 or so years, never sinned, not once, and yet was tempted as each of us are tempted but never sinned, and then he went to the cross, this innocent one, this one without blemish, to offer a sacrifice, a substitute for us, taking our sin upon himself. This innocent one took our sin, and he died on the cross in our place. And we're going to get to hear about that and see that on Good Friday, right? We're going to go to the cross. You've got to go to the cross before you go to the empty grave. So come, come to the Good Friday service have your hearts uh, beaten again, uh, crushed by the weight of our sin and the beauty of our Savior who took our sin for us on the cross. But he didn't stay in the grave, right? He died. He died paying for our sin, but he was raised from the dead in validation of his payment, his substitutionary payment for us, for our sin. So, 
as a pastor, when I go up to UMC and I visit someone that's in the hospital at UMC, uh, I take the little card that I get at the booth when I go into the parking garage and I can go to any one of the floors, wherever it is that I go, to whatever wing I go, and I can go to the stamp and boom, stamp it, which means when I leave that parking garage, I do not have to pay for the parking. The parking's been paid in full, and that stamp validated my parking. Well, that's what Jesus Christ did in the resurrection. When God raised his son from the dead, it validated for us the payment that was made. The payment is made in full, and Christ's resurrection is the proof of that. It's the validation of that. And he is supreme he reigns supreme because he's done this for us and he's done this in order to show his supremacy over all of creation so he was raised from the dead but not only that it says that god seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places he seated him at his right hand now, a few years ago, I had the privilege of going on a missions trip, short-term missions trip to Thailand. And when we arrived in Thailand, as most good missionaries will do, they'll give you a little bit of cultural background, cultural um, practices, so that you're sensitive to what you're doing as you're in that foreign land. And one of the things that they taught us to do when we went to Thailand was to why. You know what it is to why? This is a why. This is... So you're taught to why. This is a standard greeting. It's not, it's not a, an evil thing. It's not evil for a Christian to do. It's just a common thing for a Thai person to do when they greet someone. Sawadee kap is how they would greet each other. Now, if you're in the presence of the king, do you know what you do? So the higher the why, the greater the honor that you give. And so when you're in the presence of the king, you get on your knees and you make sure you don't show him your feet your feet are pointed away from him. That would be disgraceful for him to see the bottom of your feet, for anyone to see your feet. But you get on your knees and you why to the king like this. Now, we were never in the presence of the king, but just in case, they did tell us all those things. But we practiced that. In fact, we had some missionaries from Thailand come and visit back home, back visit our church a couple months ago, and I greeted them with a, a why. So why do you cop? That's just an appropriate way to greet each other. So in the presence of the king, in the presence of Almighty God, what is the right posture? Well, the right posture would be to be on your knees in subservience to him, recognizing that you are, you are beneath him and that you're ready to serve him in any manner. Or possibly you stand before the king ready to do his bidding. You stand humbly waiting to hear an as we hear in the scripture, the angels stand in his presence waiting for, waiting for his command to go and do whatever he commands them to do. But here it says that Jesus neither is on his knees or standing, but he is seated in the presence of Almighty God. That is a place of supremacy. You don't sit in front of the king. You don't sit in front of Almighty God unless you are Almighty God. And that's who Jesus is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that, that vision, that idea, right hand. You know, in the Middle East, the left hand is seen as unclean. It does the nasty things. 
but the right hand is the hand in which you do most of your, your duties. That's what the hand you eat with. That's the hand you might shake hands with. You might greet someone with. But it's also the hand of power. It's the hand in which you are, um, you are doing your action. And that's how the Bible speaks of God in his right hand. When Moses escapes from Egypt... And he's made the exodus through the Red Sea. And just on the other side of the Red Sea, you know what they do? They break out and dance. They dance a jig before the Lord. And Moses sings a new song. And in the midst of that song, he says, Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious. Your right hand is powerful. And who's at his right hand? The Lord Jesus Christ is his right hand. The Lord Jesus is the Lord of hosts. The Lord Jesus is the one who defeats the enemies. If you go to Psalm 98, you read right at the beginning there. In fact, I'll just read there. I didn't get this in early enough to get a slide of it, but uh, Psalm 98 refers to God's right hand, his hand of salvation. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Does that sound familiar? God works salvation through his right hand. Well, who's at his right hand? His son is at his right hand. His son departed for a time, took on human flesh, withheld his glory, shielded his glory for a time, but now is seated again at the Father's right hand, right? God raised him from the dead, and he has seated him at his right hand, and that is where he is now, and that is where he is interceding on our behalf eternally as our great high priest. He's seated at the Father's right hand, but he's also been placed above every power, above all powers and forces. That's in verse uh, 21. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That's where he's been placed. He's been placed above every rule and authority and power and dominion. And you know, uh, Pastor Dave is going to come to this in a few weeks in, in Ephesians chapter 6. But I want to turn there just for a moment because um, when we think about these dominions and powers and authorities, we think about the things uh, of this earth that uh, are arrayed against us. And we're reminded that there is no person, there's no force. There's no being whose rule or authority or lordship to whom Christ must submit. And to put it positively in a positive sense, Jesus' rule, Jesus' authority, Jesus' power, Jesus' lordship is greater, stronger, more authoritative, and more extensive than anyone or anything. He reigns supreme. So when we, when we read a passage like this, this is, this is maybe a bit of an application point for us this morning, but when we come to Ephesians 6 and we read, beginning at verse 10, we read these words, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When I was a freshman in high school, my brother Ron was a senior. And... Uh, I had a problem with him. Uh, he picked on me. 
and uh, he would fight with me, and he would uh, occasionally beat me up. Um, he was generally mean to me, not all the time, but, but quite often. And uh, what, what this passage tells me is that my struggle was not against my stupid brother, but it was against the principalities and the powers and the authorities that were behind him making him stupid <laughs> and mean to me, who was righteous and holy. <laughs> This, this verse tells us that, that there are these forces that are at work in our lives, in this world, in our relationships in particular. And they're after us. They're after us to defeat us. They're after us to depress us. They're after us to tear us down. But when we come to this passage and we come to what Paul says in this letter, he reminds us, that we stand firm in his might, in his power, and that's the power of Jesus Christ, the one who reigns supreme, because he's been, and the words are almost exactly the same from Ephesians 6 to Ephesians 1, he's been put above every dominion, every power, every authority, every force. He's the one who reigns supreme, and so if we're in him, if our trust is in him, if our, if our hope is in him, then we know that when we struggle against our big brother, our spouse, our roommate, um, the, the jerk down the hall in the dorm, uh, the guy in the apartment above you, that your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your struggle is against those forces that are at work against them. But Christ is greater than each one of those. And so that in your struggles, we go to him. We trust him. We look to him. Uh, my wife Shelly is here with me this morning, uh, and she could attest to you that this past week has been very hard. It's been a very difficult week for us relationally, and part of that is because of me, uh, which is usually the case, unfortunately. But uh, depression tends to run, run in my family. My father struggled with depression almost all his life. I've got six siblings, six brothers. Uh, they've all been on antidepressants at one point or another. Um, in this past week, I was in a terrible, terrible place. I was really low. I didn't see hope. Thursday, I just, I canceled every meeting I had. I did want, not want to be around anybody. I didn't know how I could be around anybody. I was invited to watch the U of A game Thursday night. I just, I couldn't even, I couldn't go there. I couldn't go, I couldn't go watch. And I was so hopeless, so I didn't see hope. And that was just like three days ago. And God in his grace, through the prayers and the words of my wife, and the prayers and the words of some friends, Friday morning I woke up and there was a cloud. The cloud had lifted. The cloud was gone. Uh, not completely, but I, I had hope. And my whole hope the reality, even when I get down like that, when I've been depressed like that, and that's, it's not common for me, but it, it happens on occasion. This was maybe one of the worst. And my hope still rests in the midst of that, in Christ who reigns supreme, the one who's over all those forces that were at me. So it, it may not be a, a, a stupid brother. It may not be a, a difficult spouse. It may not be that roommate it may just be the internal things going on in your hearts. 
But Christ reigns supreme over those forces that are at work in you to defeat you. And so, so you run to Jesus. You flee to Jesus. You cry out to Jesus and find him. And you know what? I've got to be honest. I, I don't know what I would have done this morning had that cloud still been there. And, and I know the cloud doesn't always lift the first time you cry out or the second time you cry out. And some of you here today struggle with depression or you struggle with other relational issues. And so just keep hanging on to the hope. The hope is there in Christ because he does reign supreme over all those rulers and authorities and forces and powers. He is supreme. Trust, trust this one who died and was raised. None, there's none like him who died and was raised. Do you get that? He, he died and he was raised and he lives today and he's seated at that right hand and he's in that position of power and authority above every other name, every other force. And then Paul goes on. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that he put all things under his feet. He put all things under his feet. Now, what does it mean to have something under your feet? What did it mean in those days? Well, I think it meant the same thing in those days as it did, does this day. That when you have something under your feet, it, you rule over it. You have subdued it. You've crushed it. Okay, one more U of A basketball reference. Maybe some more. But I just loved that dunk by Raleigh Hawkins last night where he was standing over that dude. Sorry. <laughs> but he subdued him. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, but that, that's, that's nothing. That's nothing in com comparison to what, what Christ has done. You know, um, we have this idea, uh, or I do, I, I think maybe too much about it, but at the end of the day, going and sitting in my recliner with my feet up, right? With my feet resting. That's the idea. It's a restful, to, to have your enemies put under your feet, to be made your footstool means that you can rest from war against them. It's a place of rest. It's a place of Sabbath. It's a place of shalom. It's a place that God gives us in Christ because he has put everything under his feet. He's made his enemies a footstool, right? That's what was prophesied in Psalm 110 that Christ would have that dominion. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. And in that very first promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. All that Satan's going to do is nip at Christ's heel. But Christ is going to and has subdued him, put him under his feet. The, 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 uh, the dead, the fatal blow has been delivered to our greatest foe, to the one who has gathered all his minions against Christ and his church. And Christ has dealt the fatal blow to him. Christ is supreme. He has made, God has made his enemies his footstool. They're under his feet. He rules over them. And then God has given his son as a head over all things to the church. 
verse 22 says that he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So the, to be the head over anything, to, to be the head is to be the leader, to be the, the one who rules, the one who directs, the one who commands, right? So if we think of supremacy as being someone of the highest rank or authority, then we might think of a, a colonel over a, over a platoon or a battalion or whatever colonels are over, and then, and then generals that are over the colonels, and then you have, you have the commander-in-chief, right? You have the commander-in-chief. Well, Christ is the, the commander-in-chief. He is over all things, and God has given him to the church. God has given this one who is head over all things to the church. Now, you, you might be here today uh, because someone else invited you. Maybe you're a friend, you're checking out this Christianity thing. Uh, maybe you're here because it's the end of spring break at the U of A and you've come back to, early to come to church and you brought a friend with you or you're the friend that was brought or a parent that was brought. Um, and maybe you've come today and you're not sure about the church, you're not sure about Christ and you're a bit skeptical perhaps, you see the church in action or in inaction, maybe far too often, you see the church as something that's messed up. And so you look at, you look at this or you hear this and you say Christ has given head over the church, well then we need a new head. He's not doing such a great job. Well, I want to encourage you in a couple ways if that's what you're thinking, if that's where you are today. Uh, first of all, Christ reigns supreme over all forces and principalities and powers, and I would urge caution in disrespecting him. He, he demands your honor. No matter what you feel about the church, Christ demands your honor. And the second thing is this, that Christ, Christ knows how messed up his church is. Christ knows how badly we need him. He did not come for those who have it all together. He came for those that have no idea what it means to be all together. He did not come for those who are healthy, but he came for those who are sick. He did not come for those that know what the next step is. He came for those that are lost and have no idea what step to take ever. That's who Christ came for. He came to gather a, a bride. That's what the Bible calls us. That's what that's what. Ephesians, that's what Paul says about us. He came to gather a bride that he is going to perfect. He's going to take away the spots and the blemishes and the wrinkles and present us before God in that manner. So yes, the church is messed up because it's got us in it. But Christ is at work to overcome that. He is the head. He is the one who is over all and he has come to bring healing and to bring, to bring newness, to make all things new, as was said earlier in the service. So he's made him head over all the church. C.S. Lewis reminds us of this truth about the church. He says, the church will outlive the universe. In it, the individual person will outlive the universe. Everything that is joined to the immortal head will share his immortality. 
We are joined to him. We are in Christ and we will share his immortality. We will live forever in glory. As he comes to take us home, we will be in a place where there is no more sadness. There are no more forces at work against us. Christ has brought us home. So he has been raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. All things have been placed under his feet. He's our head. We submit ourselves to him and to his rule. So Jesus Christ reigns supreme. He is supreme to the highest degree, to the highest quality. He has the supreme rank and authority. And so there are two things that, two ways that I think this ought to impact us. That first, we should know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. Again, that's from last week's sermon, the verse right before our passage from verse 19. But we need to know that power that God has, has put at work in us. Those who believe. The power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that he uses to raise us from our spiritual deadness. That's where we are apart from Christ. Spiritually dead. Probably next week's sermon. Ephesians chapter 2. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, but God in his mercy his rich, beautiful mercy has raised us with Christ. And he has given us a place of position. And I, I want to make sure we understand this, that he is supreme and he has all dominion, he has all power, but he, he takes us with him in this. We are united to him in, in this. And so we don't have all dominion. We don't have all power. But we are told by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are able to conquer. We're able to have victory over those things in our lives because of Jesus Christ's supremacy. That as his people, he takes us with him in his train, his victory train, and we have victory then over all enemies as well in him. And then second, we should trust in the supremacy of Christ, the supreme gift to the church. Those last couple of verses in Ephesians 1 say this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When it says there that we're the fullness of him who fills all in all, I think we need to, again, make sure we understand that, and this is, this is difficult, and I'll, the nice thing about being a guest preacher is you get to say difficult things and then leave them for others to unravel later. <laughs> so ask Dave about this later. But, um, so, uh, Christ our, our God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, exists all, all in himself, right? He, he, he has no need for anything outside of himself. There's a, there's a fancy theological term for that. I think it's the aseity of God, but he's, that he's all self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need the world that he created. He did that all out of his joy, out of his glory, to give himself glory, but he, he, we, so 
uh, Jerry Maguire. Remember that movie a few years back? Two, two famous lines, right? Show me the money, and then you, you complete me or something. You, the, the deaf gal, was that in Jerry Maguire? Is that the right? Okay, so you complete me, right? She says to her, the guy she's in love with, you complete me. Oh, that's so romantic. Uh, but it's, no, no one on earth completes us, right? No one on earth completes us. Dave has probably said that before. He'll say it again, probably when he gets to Ephesians 5 and he talks about marriage. We don't find our completeness in each other. We find our completeness in Christ, and then we give that to each other as a gift, right? So when, when Paul says that we are... Uh, which is his body, the fullness of him. That word there really is completeness. He get, he is, God has given us Christ to complete us, to make us whole. I am such a broken man. We are broken people. We are messed up people. But God has given Christ to us to make us whole, that we might be fulfilled, we might be the fulfillment of the body of Christ. That's the only way the body gets healthy is by being centered on Him, given to Him, found in Him, trusting in Him. So again, I know, I know you come here today with some burdens. We, we do. That's, it. That's the world we live in. And maybe it's not today. Maybe today everything's great. Hallelujah. That's a gift from God. But last week might not have been so good and next week might not be so great because we live in a broken world. But we have Christ, the supreme one, the supremacy of Christ in us, for us, fulfilling us, making us the fulfillment of the body, making us fulfilled, completing us, healing us. That's what Christ has come to do on that rescue mission that God sent him on. And so, nothing else you hear today. Christ reigns supreme. Christ reigns supreme. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that this word is clear, that your word is true, that in you we can find hope because it's in the resurrection. The apostle Peter tells us that you have given us birth into a living hope. And so we praise you, O oh God. We thank you. We live lives of gratitude before you because of this hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus, the Supreme One. Keep our eyes fixed on him. Lord, may we be able to, to only glimpse the burdens, the difficulties of this life and to be able to gaze upon our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.